Welcome back to the Derek Diamond Experience Podcast, and today you'll be hearing the audio from the live podcast I did from the Imogene Theater in Milton, Florida, with director Travis Mills and actor Shannon Williams talking about their film, Son of a Gun, the unique inspiration behind the story of the film, why they both wanted to work in the film industry to begin with, some funny on-set stories, and why you should absorb as much knowledge as possible on a film set regardless of what job or position you were working on said film set. But it was great getting to chat with Travis again. Uh, I had him on my show a year, possibly even more, uh, to talk about his film Cornbread Cosa Nostra. So it was great getting to connect with him again um, and then getting to watch the film Son of a Gun at the Imogene after we did the podcast. And having Shannon on the show has been long overdue. I've known him for a couple of years now and uh, it was great getting to chat with both of them. So if you didn't get to hear or see the live version of the show, here is my conversation with Travis and Shannon. Great. All right. Welcome, everyone, to this special live edition of the Derek Diamond Experience podcast. We are here on location at the Imogene Theater in Milton, Florida. I think this is the first on-location show I've done maybe since the Cornbread Cosa Nostra one, which is kind of crazy to think about. Oh, that's about. right. We did it at the church yeah. where we did auditions. Yeah. That was cool. Yeah, th that was, I think, a year ago, maybe? Maybe even I longer? I think it was longer than that. Jeez, I'm getting old. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh, we're here to talk about the film Son of a Gun. I am joined along with two people who were heavily involved with the film. We have the director, Mr. Travis Mills. How's it going? Happy to be here. I'm sharing the podcast right now, so I'm not, I'm not being rude. I'm <laughs> just sharing the I'm podcast. making moves. I like it. And also one of the actors from the film, Mr. Shannon Williams. How are you, sir? Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. And, uh, and I'm trying to share it, too. That's why I'm lost <laughs> in the screen. You got <laughs> to love technology. You got to love technology. So... Uh, so we're here, like I said, at the Imogene. Uh, we're going to have a showing of the film, which I have not seen yet, so very excited to uh, take part in that. But um, I guess we'll start off with uh, we'll start off with you, Travis. So I want to get a little bit of your each of your backgrounds before we actually talk about the film. So Travis, you're the director of the film. What was it that made you want to get into this crazy world of making films? You know, I've always been interested in it my parents say that i watched mary poppins 20 times in a row when i was two years old and they knew that they had an extremist on their hands and uh anyone who knows me probably would use that word extremist or intense um so i've always been into it and i just got real serious about it about nine years ago when i started running wild films in arizona and then i expanded to mississippi expanded to the south in 2016 and we've made five movies here since then so keeping up the pace we're about to increase the pace too i'm gonna make 12 movies next year oh wow but uh anyway that's another story so are you from arizona originally no not really so my dad's from arizona my mom's from mississippi so okay. those are my family roots and uh i was actually a missionary kid i was born in ecuador and i grew up in a place called the comoro islands which is off the east coast of Africa. Okay. Yep. Selfie time. You really take a selfie. Right? <laughs> As we check in, to this event. <laughs> Shannon, you're ridiculous. That's the best part of these live things. Anything there can happen. Is. Here it is. It's all. It's all. We it's gotta. All 
you got to ask this guy a question next. Oh, so love it. Stop screwing around on his phone. <laughs> <laughs> so, so no, so so Shannon, let, let's let's switch gears over to you. What was it? Because you're one of the actors in the film. What was it that just made you decide I want to pursue acting? Oh my goodness. Um, well, it was all by accident. Um, my, uh, my, my daughter wanted to be an extra in a movie, so I was working over in Mississippi after Hurricane Katrina and saw a thing in the paper about the movie Deja Vu that was going to film in New Orleans because of, you know, Hurricane Katrina bring some money in. And um, so it's a big deal. They had a huge casting call for extras, and, and they wanted ex-Navy people. Um, so we all went and did it, and they picked me and my daughter to be in it, and, and as soon as I walked on the set, um, this was a year after I retired from the Navy, um, as soon as I walked on the set, it was just, I was blown away. It was the most incredible, you know, $100 million modern-day traveling circus. It was, it, was, it was amazing. It was amazing. You see people behind the camera, you would see guys like, maybe a little goatee braided down to his waist, you know, but he was some kind of technical expert that, you know, had been doing this for decades. And to see that level of professionalism and what they were doing, and then to be able to see the movie when it was all done and get to see Denzel, it was, um, it was a great experience. You said uh, $100 million circus, right? Is that what you described it as? Yeah. A guy I worked with in Arizona in January said that, you know, we're all just glorified carnies, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Which I don't know if I necessarily agree with. But for me, my recent um, uh, analogy has been that we're just playing expensive cowboys and Indians. Yeah. Basically, we never grew out of just playing dress up Absolutely. as kids. It just costs a, a lot more money now. Absolutely. It's an interesting way of looking at it. Glorified carnies. It, it is. <laughs> That's the whole lifestyle is just crazy. Yeah, for sure. No, there, there's a there's a certain aspect to that 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 I think I would agree with. But um, switching gears over to Son of a Gun, what was the inspiration behind wanting to make this film? Because it, it's a Civil War piece, right? Yeah, it's based on a a true myth, if there is such a thing. Uh, the bullet pregnancy story, which I stumbled upon. Basically, I was writing a script. I'd made Cornbread Cosa Nostra. I wasn't sure what was going to be my next Mississippi movie. I thought I was going to make a film about Walter Anderson, who is a famous painter and who lived in Ocean Springs and was committed um, and escaped from the asylum where he was committed. Also a very interesting story. But I was a little restless with that script I did some, I did like a Google search for Civil War Romances Mississippi, okay? Found some kind of article that had different stories. And of course, this isn't a romance, but it was listed on there, the bullet pregnancy. So what is this? A bullet, you know, passes through the scrotum of a soldier, hits a girl, impregnates her, Okay. And this was, so I thought, well, that's absurd. But then I started digging some more, and I found out that this was um, publicized in a medical journal 11 years after the war by a doctor named Legrand Capers in Vicksburg. Okay? So then I thought, wait a second. There's more to this. It's not just this crazy myth. Who's the guy... This, that did this what was he was he joking was he serious is it is there some element of truth to the story you know um and that kind of set me on the path and i remember 
reading about it and I was in Colorado seeing my parents and walking downstairs and I said, Dad, here's the plot of my next movie. And I laid it out for him. I said, it's going to be called Son of a Gun and the tagline for the movie is going to be A Ball Tale. And my dad was just like nodded and he was just like, I think you should lose the tagline, son. <laughs> but otherwise, uh, I was I was very intrigued with, with the whole thing. And Legrand Capers, the weirdest thing is Legrand Capers means the big joke in French. So you almost think this is a made-up name for the dude as well. But it's not. This guy's name was Legrand Capers legitimately. And he told this big joke that's become sort of, uh, you know, that a, was his a real debate. Name. Yeah, it was his real name. Those parents had a great sense of humor. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I guess they had foresight. <laughs> anyway, that's the story. So, Shannon, how did you, for one, how did you hear about this project? And two, what was it that made you want to be involved with it? Um, well... Travis came to the area and he was going to hold auditions and I and I just kind of came on on the very tail end of that and and heard about the auditions and um, uh, Nicole Dixon, Marianne Del Gallego, um, they were also helping promote it and um, so I went down and auditioned. But when I when I read the script, I, I knew I said, "Oh man, this fits me." I mean, the guy's a military <laughs> surgeon, and and I was in the medical field in the in the Navy, and and I just I just felt like I had to do this, you know. And to get picked, it was it was it was nuts. It was nuts. So what what exactly is the role you play without without giving away any spoilers? Mm-hmm. Like what what is your character? I play in in the in the three retellings kind of of this story. I play Doctor Number Two. So he plays the Grand Capers. Basically, without giving much away, the movie is told in three parts, and each telling of the crazy bullet pregnancy myth, we reveal more of what might have been the truth behind it. And Shannon is in the second section, so he plays that. He's he's one of the lead actors in the film. Um, He's uh, just in the second middle part of the movie. So once you decide this is, this is your next project, this is what you're going to do, mm-hmm. what was the next step from that? Was it finding locations? Was it casting the actors? What, what was the next step that you went through when you decided, after you had the conversation with your dad and said, this is my next film? I wrote the script pretty quickly, I think in a couple weeks, two, two to three weeks. And then... Yeah, it became um, the usual process is set some dates for casting. We did auditions here in Jackson, in Vicksburg, where most of the story is set. Um, I think we did some in Monticello, Mississippi, which is where I made my movie Blood Country. Anyway, we did several casting calls. This was one of the best. There's a lot of talented people in this area. And um, thankfully, we were able to get a couple of them in the movie, hopefully more in future projects. So, yeah, we set upon that. And then the locations was a big question mark for me because obviously anytime you're making a period piece, it's like, okay, wh- where are we going to shoot this thing? And honestly, we had not locked most of the locations till a month before filming started, which is kind of typical of me. I'll say we're going to make this movie, we're going to shoot it on these dates, and then... I'm just like, okay, by that date, I got to get as much figured out as I can by that start date. But we found this little town in Mississippi called Port Gibson. 
And I had never been there before scouting. And, and this local guy, Josh McCrane, he showed us so many spots that we could shoot just in that little area. And I, I, this is the place. So we shot a majority of the film there. How long did it take you to shoot the film? Uh, this was a 20-day production, I think, if I remember correctly. So, yeah. 20 days. That's not, it's not terrible. Nope. Our productions keep getting longer and longer. Cornbread was 25. Blood Country was 20. So we're kind of in that range. So did you shoot it, was it like during the summer? Was it during the winter? Because I know it can, it can get a little toasty here in the summer. Right. We started in April of last year. And okay. we wrapped, I think it was May 4th. So it wasn't that bad. We ran into some crazy weather. Do you remember the... We shot on the Raymond Battlefield, which is another town in Mississippi, and that's apparently where the bullet pregnancy event happened, if it did, right? And uh, the day that we shot there, there were major tornado warnings, tornado uh, sirens going off and crazy weather. And uh, again, everybody's freaking out, just saying, hey, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Are you postponing the shoot? I'm like, in independent film, there is no postponing. We're shooting. We're making it work. And we pulled it off. I literally pulled into town to a tornado um, siren. And, and it was, I just stayed in the McDonald's bathroom for a few minutes and let it pass <laughs> and drove out to the battlefield and got stuck. Well, you were one of the ones that got stuck, weren't you? I couldn't see. Absolutely. We couldn't see. It was a driving rain. I mean, just, I mean, whiteout, you know, totally. And I pulled off the road and that was it. I said, uh-oh. This is the wrong road. I had just gotten out of my truck after the tornado siren had gone off because I had refused to leave the battlefield. Everybody else went to this gas station. I'm like, I'm staying here. We're filming. There's not going to be a tornado. Okay? I can see these guys. I can't remember if Shannon's on the phone with me. I can see him take the wrong turn and get stuck in the mud. Then I see another actor, and I'm way too far away, but I'm out of my truck, and I'm screaming, No! <laughs> Stop! <laughs> and I'm just seeing these, like, one after one, these cars just get stuck. And I'm just like, human beings, man. They amaze me. <laughs> I figured it was a good start to my first day on set. Um, you know, to, to have the director push you out and just spray him with mud. I was right. It was, I, it was yeah. a horrible, it well, was horrible weather, but within an hour of this, I was, I was not filming immediately, but I was watching one of Miles' scenes. Yeah. And I knew within an hour of this crazy storm we're filming and the weather is faring off and it's beautiful because I'm looking at a big monitor that they're using. And um, I knew as soon as I saw the scene, I said, oh, this film, it's gonna be different. It's gonna be different. What's it's funny about you spraying me with mud with your, with your <laughs> car is that no one really saw that, but by the time they all showed up to do the battle scene, I mean, I'm drenched and I've got mud all over my face. I look like I've, I'm basically prepared for war. And people were just like, you look so intense. They thought I'd done, <laughs> they thought I'd done it on purpose, you know, smearing mud on my You're face. You're just getting in spirit for the exactly. film. <laughs> exactly. Well, my next question was going to be funniest onset stories, but I don't know if you can, if you can quite top that, <laughs> top no, that, that one. Was, that, that was a horrible, horrible morning in, in a lot of ways. But then, but then really the contrast of seeing what I, I got to see as an outsider looking in into this project that's been planned and worked and I just walk on and get to see one of the other doctors do their scene 
it was it was an amazing moment. I knew right then. I said, "This film is going to be special. It's going to be good." Well, that's the cool thing about not just participating on camera but even watching certain scenes unfold and you think oh this is this is going to be something really good right i i I go back to when i was working on steve wise's film servia a couple of years ago Mm -hmm. you know just watching one of the one of the simple dialogue scenes but seeing the chemistry between servi and orfea who was an orphan girl just seeing their interaction i'm thinking this this is going to be really good so right no i i can i can totally understand that so other than being stuck in the mud and dealing with torrential downpouring rain as we do here in the south what are some other funny onset stories that that might have happened that that you can share hmm i'm trying to think of some that day on the battlefield was probably the most defining and intense um we had a great group of living history people with us who just brought so much authenticity to the movie. I don't know how many were in the film, but I do remember recently when making the credits, noticing that because of that weather, 20 people who had committed to being there didn't show up, did not show up. Mm -hmm. I'm like, wow, how did we pull it off? So we pulled it off with basically half of what we were supposed to have. A lot of these people brought both Union and Confederate uniforms, which is perfect because since the story is told multiple times mm-hmm. and one story they're Union and the next story they're <laughs> Confederate. But, um, yeah, that was just crazy. And then, um, you know, I, I can be pretty intense. And uh, this one woman had never acted before in her life. Okay. Nancy. She was she got stuck right behind me. So. <laughs> <laughs> she had never acted. We had a great before. conversation about yeah. acting, though. Prior right, to. I bet. And uh, I cast her in the lead female role in the movie. Okay, African American woman based out of Vicksburg works at a hotel. Never acted at all. Anyway, she first scene ever. She also got stuck in the mud. Yeah, like he's saying, we're throwing her into the middle of a battle scene, and she's delivering these lines, and there's gunfire blanks going off all around her and she's not reacting to it so i did two things one i played the scene through for her and i think i do a pretty good uh 1860s black woman i'm gonna release that clip soon (laughs) it's pretty good (laughs) but i said nancy i'm gonna yell at you are you okay at the okay with this and you could tell she was just like did not know what was coming but i just had to pump her up i had to get her into the war zone and so that's not a funny story, but that's just the kind of, you know, environment that, that we work with. And so I think that, that whole experience was, was pretty crazy. Um, but the rest of the shoot was very smooth. It was my smoothest production, which is crazy because we had the, the smallest crew I've ever had. We had no production designer. I was doing all the production design, no uh, assistant director, no additional producers. So it was a very tiny team, but a good one. Mm-hmm. And I thought it ran pretty smooth. Yeah. Flawless, as far <laughs> as I'm concerned, because it, it was the biggest role I'd ever done. And to be able to walk into that and, and, you know, for five days, I stayed there for six, I believe, and there was a break in the filming, but I shot for five days. And it was, um, for me, it was just so next level and amazing 
because I got to create this character just out of the blue. You know, I mean, I, I took a little bit of Legrand Capers and just invented this backstory, and um, and I went on set with it, and I never had to change anything. Um, Travis just said, just just keep going, keep going. Once you're in the zone, once an actor gets in the zone, you really don't want to mess with them. There's no point to it. And, well, you know, when they become that character. Yeah, and sometimes you got to tweak them until. I always feel like you got to tweak them until they hit one scene, the right note in that one scene, and then you kind of say, "You got it. That's the character. Now keep doing that." You know, and then they know that feeling. They're like, "Yeah, okay, I touched it." But Shannon showed up either there or very close to there, and he's a very subtle actor. And I think that it was really interesting because the first third of the movie with Miles, we wanted to be over the top. And then Shannon is a perfect contrast to that because it's all just in the eyes, not a lot of big expressions, very subtle dialogue too. So anyway, he was ready and, and a blast to work with. That's awesome. When I was given my script, the, the whole first page, there are two words that I have to say. And I and I'm highlighting the words and there's literally two words on the first page and I flip and there's maybe three more on the next one and I'm like, oh my God, this is the best gift I've ever been given. <laughs> I mean, truly. Because when no matter what scene I'm in, whoever I'm in there with, they're really, I carry the story, I think, but they carry the scene. And it's just a neat thing to be a part of because I got to just play this guy, you know. And instead of doing all the words. Well, reacting really... is as important and, and listening, I think. And that's something that's good that you do in the movie is, is the reactions to what you're seeing mm -hmm. rather than you necessarily being the one that's causing it. So, But sometimes you can tell the story really well that way. I think so. Yeah, absolutely. So once the film was finished, how was the, the post-production process? So like how involved are you in post-production like do you do any editing yourself do you hand it off to someone else how do you normally handle the post-production process of your films pretty involved but thankfully i have a go-to editor now he's a guy named tony pelham who lives in arizona and he's cut every movie since see he didn't cut blood country so i guess he started with my horror movie bride of violence he did cornbread he's working on the new porches movie so that's been great to be able to basically um the nice thing about that is you get some distance from it. You're done with the movie, and instead of going straight into looking at footage, you can take a break. Someone else brings a fresh perspective to it. You see what they do. A lot of times, you know, he, he cuts, cuts things in a way that I never would have. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes I want it adjusted back to our intention, or at least I'll say, Tony, we intended for it to be this way. Could you please at least try that? And then he'll try it, and I'll say, you know what? You were right. It was better the other way. But it becomes a collaboration. We go back and forth through a series of drafts. And then, as you probably know, it goes to sound mixing and color. Now, by the time we get through production, just to give you an idea, this movie was made for $30,000. So that's not a lot of money to make a Civil War period piece. Mm -hmm. By the time we get through production there's unfortunately I'm, i've not been the best at budgeting for post or there'll be unforeseen <laughs> issues in production that eat up that money so we've struggled with sound in the past um 
and I ended up having to sound mix this, sound edit and mix this movie myself, which I'd never done before. How was that process? It was, on one, on one hand, it was incredible and a lot of fun because I learned something that I, I, hadn't, I didn't really know uh, in detail. On the other hand, it was, it was hard. I had to do it in like a month and a half because the guy that we had backed out. He wasn't doing a good job, so I had to take over. And it just involves so many things. I want to show you some of the scenes, the originals and the new ones. I'm not a professional sound mixer by any means, but it's, it's really fun when you have a scene that sounds like dog shit. <laughs> and then by the time you're done with it, no one could ever tell that there was car noise behind it because obviously you can't have car noise yeah. in a civil war movie and all this kind of stuff uh, and even some scenes starting from absolute zero and using uh what we call the wild lines that we got on set so that was quite a process but now i know more about it and hopefully that means that i'll be better at hiring a sound mixer because i've done it myself um but we we also for the score we brought back mark ridgeway who had composed for blood country and I think he did a really good job. I don't know I if you so. noticed the score, but... Absolutely. Yeah. It's, Absolutely. And it also... Everything in the movie has three parts. So the cast is different in each story. The locations are different. And also the music. The, the first third is classical. The second that Shannon's part of is almost like English-Irish folk music. Um, and then the third is more of a kind of a modern, traditional, ambient score. So we, we really tried to stick with that idea of mm -hmm. three different parts. Yeah. No, that's good. That's good. No, I was kind of going back to the sound mixing. I did the sound mix for Servi, and I had never done it before. And on, like you said, on one hand, it was a lot of fun because it was something I had never done before, and it was something that I learned a lot doing. But on one hand, I wanted to pull my hair out oh, yeah. because <laughs> having to add in – because we did Foley – for survey yeah and having to go in and add in the footsteps and making sure yeah. they're timed correctly and everything and making sure that you know all the levels are right that it's not too loud or not too soft and there was one scene where you could hear a generator in the background so we ended up doing adr for that yeah. i think so it, it's it's a learning experience audio is a whole different animal than than video but it's also very important it's equally important as the picture Mm -hmm. And um, a couple of our movies have kind of struggled in that way, and I think this one is pretty good. Um, there's always room for improvement, but um, at least I can say this time that if you got issues with the audio, there's you can just go straight <laughs> to me. You know, <laughs> I'm the one that did it. Um, but yeah, I know what you mean. I'm actually mixing a film, a short film we shot in Arizona. Uh, which is like a Mad Max type movie. And we knew when we shot it, we didn't record any audio. The first part of it, we've, we've done two of these. We intentionally wanted to dub everything and Foley everything. So I'm going through and it's just going to be a 15 minute short, but it's so much slower because of every footstep that I've got to plug in there. And I'm like, man, these people walk too much. Next time I do this, everybody's going to stand still or sit. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Travis sent me a message and he said, hey, I need you to uh, record this on your phone, say these words. <laughs> and the words, and I'm looking at the, the two words that he wanted me to say, and I'm like, I don't get it. I don't get it. Well, <laughs> do I say these words or do I do what he's asking me to do? <laughs> and I don't want to give it away, but, but it was neat to be able to do that on a phone. 
and just record it and send it back and then hear it on a movie because you don't know it's there. You know, yeah. you, you can't tell it was if, if it was actually used that yeah. that little cut that it was recorded from a phone. You know, five hundred miles away. It was and, used, and, and, yeah, and used in the film, so that was neat. Phone ADR works a lot of the time, not all the time, but it's really surprising what voice memo on your phone can do. Mm -hmm. So sometimes I'll just say, "I need these three lines. Send them back to me. Do mm -hmm. five takes, and it'll work out." Well, that's the cool thing about technology is even something as simple as like Dropbox or Google Drive. Mm -hmm. You can, right. you know, you could be in Arizona, or the editor can be in Arizona, and mm -hmm. you send them the audio file from here in Florida and it works. Mm -hmm. So you don't always have to be in person for every single thing like that. Absolutely. So, and that, that was something else I learned too with, you know, working with the Adobe suite, having the, the linked project files with, with audio and also now learning it uh, with video and doing proxy files from, um, from Blackmagic Resolve. So that's doing this has been a very, it's challenging in a way but also a good learning experience so and that's kind of what I tell anyone who works on a film is even if it's just PA you know you can learn a lot by just doing PA work by watching everyone at least that's how I learn it really depends on uh, yeah basically you can learn a ton it depends on you mm -hmm. you know um, if you just sit there and listen you're gonna absorb a lot unfortunately most people don't do that <laughs> They sit there in text or something. But yeah. there, there, there was a picture someone took on set of me during the... Mem you, you guys were doing whatever you were doing, so I was just sitting there watching, and me and Holly were both on opposite ends of the room just watching you guys. And that was always neat. I, I, and I'm glad I had done enough to know that when something's going on and I'm not actively doing something, to sit there with my mouth shut because that's the best way I can help out. You yep. know. And while I was sitting there doing nothing, I would just listen to them and watching you and Mario and Nick. You know, that was, that was a neat, neat, neat process. And I, would, I wish everybody could experience it. So what's next for, for both of you guys? Uh, do you have any uh, projects coming up that you'd like to talk about? You go first. Nothing. Um, well, he needs me to cast him. <laughs> Apparently, he needs me to cast him again to give him something to do. Absolutely. I would, I would appreciate that. Um, <laughs> no, I, I, I've actually done a, an audi two auditions over the past couple of weeks, and, and I don't ever put any stock into those. I send mm -hmm. off a video audition, and it's, and, and it's gone. It's, you never hear back from it most of the time. So I'm, that's what I do. I just keep auditioning. Um, um, actually did something just recently with Carrie Hunter and okay. a neat little project and got to dress up as a clown. I saw, I saw all those photos. I'm yeah. going from the extreme of, of LeGrand Capers to a clown because she said, hey, I'd like you to do something. Every time Carrie says, do you want to do something? I say yes. And, um, and about a week later she said, okay, I need you to be a clown. And I thought, a clown? And then I thought, wow, a clown. I mean, if I'm going to do this, let's go off the rails. <laughs> Immediately started, you know, researching clowns and clown faces, and it was crazy process. And then um, I've got to see a little clip from it, and um, which is a side clip of the project, and um, and it's it's really neat stuff. It's beautifully filmed. It's it's just neat to be a part of. So, 
I guess you, I'm hiring out as um, a clown on the weekends. <laughs> <laughs> well, you telling me that, and I saw the photo of you, you know, putting the makeup on. I'm like, this is truly a man of his craft. Yeah, I, I, I love it. it. I loved it. I loved the whole experience. I love working with Carrie. You know, she's an FSU yeah. film school graduate, and just and just going places. And um, I'm I'm a lucky guy to be from Pensacola, Florida, to be able to work with people like Travis and Carrie and Kevin, and the list goes on and on and on. It really does. And and they're all just just absolute professionals. And people have to know that going in because they're serious about their craft. You walk on their set and you get to feel it. And as an actor, that's a special moment. You realize that your game just kind of went up a little bit. You know, you better be bringing it, you know, the way you're supposed to. But um, because they are, they're true professionals. And just to be a part of, of, of their work, um, Son of a Gun is, like I say, it's the biggest part I've ever had, and I and I prepped as hard as I knew, you know, with everything I'd learned, and 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 I was not disappointed. And then to have him on the other side of the camera, just giving these little coaching, you know, just it was gentle nudges. It, there was it was a the neatest experience I've ever had on film. It was super cool. I'm really I'm really happy with how it turned out, and I'm looking forward to seeing. You know, we've only shown it once so far in, oh, Port, really? in Port Gibson. This is this will be the second showing. And I'm really looking forward to seeing how it's received here. But most mostly I'm looking forward to how it's received when we release it online. Because, you know, wherever we show it, we're showing it mostly to friends of friends. Sometimes there's strangers. It's really hard to tell how your movie is doing until you show it to a room full of complete strangers or you release it, you know, to the internet and put yourself up with <laughs> all the trolls are going to attack you. Um, but, Keyboard warriors. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I'm really excited about that. So we up next for me is playing this some more. Um, Vicksburg next Saturday, and then we got showings coming up in um, the Jackson, Mississippi area, and uh, I'm th missing some of them, but we got a bunch of them showing um, coming up, Natchez and all that stuff. Yeah, and then um, we're gonna. I think I'll probably release DVDs online in in May, hopefully, and then uh, have the film hit Amazon not too long after that, sometime in the summertime. But right now, what I'm working on is this 12 Westerns thing. So 12 feature-length Westerns in 12 months. That's what I'm going to do in 2020. I wanted to do it for years. It's not something I dreamed up yesterday. But I got serious about it. About a year ago, I just told my partner back in Arizona that started running wild with me. I said, you know what? I'm, not gonna, I'm, I'm just going to do this in 2020. Even if the first Western is me and Bandit, my dog, roaming around in the desert, I've set the camera up on a tripod, you know, old Buster Keaton Western or something like that. But um, basically, I'm prepping for that. Some of them are going to be made in Mississippi or in the South in general. Some in Arizona. We're looking at Texas, New Mexico. Some are true stories. Others are just completely fictional Westerns. There's a big variety in what, what I'm doing. So that's... I, I've. I pledged that I would not shoot another movie in this 2019 so that I can be dedicated to prepping for that because once that starts next January, it's going to be a freight train that just cannot stop. And uh, if I live through it, that'd be super cool. 
I'd be, you have I'd, to come back on the podcast if you survive. If I survive, maybe you need to come on set for the podcast. I think maybe that's so. what really needs to happen. On the, in the middle of it, so that you'll see this man has gone mad. <laughs> Um, but we do have three more movies to release this year as well. I shot two in Arizona, one called Silver Slipper and one called The Dead Beats. And then our sequel to Porches and Private Eyes, which uh, I think has some Florida people in it, but maybe not. It's, it's definitely got some coast people in it. Um, anyway, we're releasing those the rest of this year. Cleaning the slate and starting again with 12. That's it. So what's going on here tonight? We're here, as I said at the beginning, we're live at the Imogene. This is, you said, your second showing? Yes, second showing. We're showing Son of a Gun. We have some of the cast showing up. Obviously, Shannon, uh, John Charles Harnett. I think the Canon crew, um, the Living History <laughs> Canon guys that came, uh, that family, they're going to be here. they have a Canon? They, they, they brought a cannon all the way from Florida to Raymond, Mississippi for the shoot, and they stayed longer than anyone else. They were really great. David Bracewell and, and his family, he's a pastor. They made the movie. And they've got a lot of great scenes in there, too. The extras in this movie got a lot of screen time, mm -hmm. I think. Mm -hmm. Some of them were messaging me, you know, did I get cut out? I'm like, no, you're in there, and some of you have, like, serious close-up time oh absolutely um, absolutely which is cool i love doing that and you know not a whole lot hits the cutting room floor in our movies i mean it's we pretty much shoot what we need for the film and not much more so there's there's not a whole lot of fat that needs to be cut in the editing process um but yeah we're showing the film and then i'm sure we'll do a little q a or uh um something like that and then we'll go out for drinks after well, any uh, websites or social media plugs you guys want to throw out there before we wrap it up? You first. Oh, nothing for me. Everything. Um, we need to get this a guy a publicist. Yeah, we do. <laughs> well, I might be looking at her. but <laughs> um, Basically, all of my movies have Facebook page. Please follow uh, Facebook.com slash Son of a Gun Film. Um, and then uh, Travis Mills Filmmaker, Running Wild Films, any of them. Any and all on Facebook and Instagram, and our site is runningwildfilms.com. Stay in touch, 12 Westerns in 12 months. Uh, there's going to be casting opportunities coming up from that very, very soon. So especially Florida people, uh, it's worth it for you to come. There's, there's several actors that have auditioned for me in Florida that I, I was actually thinking about them today, and I almost have a, I have a mental list of these these people that I have not cast yet because there just hasn't been the right role, but pretty much all they got to do is show up and audition for the Westerns and they will be cast in the film because I can't wait to work with those people. Just let me know when you want me to come on set and do a podcast and <laughs> I we'll, will, we'll make it happen. Can we, Horses, we'll, we'll do it on lose, horseback. Lose. <laughs> those are the kind of stuff that are in his movies. I mean, you know, a, a train. Oh my God, that's crazy. That's a crazy prop to be a part of. And we do I it in the get saloon. To be a part of it. Cotton got a train scene. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get you a train scene in the next one. There's one just down here in Milton that's really cool. Yes. Yeah. They were yeah. telling me about it. I haven't seen it. Yeah. I need to go check it out. I did get to wear the, the cape, though, the jacket. So I was You good. got to do a lot of cool stuff. Stop I did. complaining. I did. I did. <laughs> we'll, we'll do the horseback. That actually sounds yeah, pretty yeah. awesome. That would be really good. 
Cool. Well, I think that's going to do it. So thank you guys for taking thank the time you. to thank you, do Derek. the podcast. Thanks again to Travis and Shannon. Be sure to follow Travis and Running Wild Films on Facebook and Instagram to find out what Travis Mills will be working on next. For next week's show, I'll be talking to actor Kirk Taylor, who has appeared in several films, including Full Metal Jacket and The Sum of All Fears, and several TV shows as well, including Law and & Order and NCIS Los Angeles. And I will say this is one of the deepest conversations that I've had in the history of the show, possibly the deepest. It goes in a very different direction than I had originally intended, but that's kind of the beauty of podcasting is that you know, as much as you plan for a conversation to go a certain way, it can go in a completely different direction, and sometimes it works out better that way. And I think this is going to be a prime example of that. So be sure to come back next week and hear that really fun very informative, and a very real conversation. But until then, you can check out past episodes of the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere you can find podcasts. Just search for The Derek Diamond Experience, and don't forget to leave a review. Uh, The more reviews you leave, the more exposure I get, the more the show becomes visible to the podcasting public, which helps me out quite a bit, so I do very much appreciate that. You can also follow the show on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Podcast. And as always, thank you to my close friends, the Unicorn Wranglers, for providing the theme music for the podcast. Their songs Late Night drive Through" and Light and Jazzy can be heard on their latest album, Greetings from the Space Van, which is available on Apple Music, Google Play, and Spotify. And that's going to do it for this week's show. Thank you once again to Travis and Shannon, and be sure to come back next week to hear my conversation with actor Kirk Taylor.